All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegan, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? And we do have a special introductory offer, a lower-priced offer for you to try. Uh, so you can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or simply go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Or you can go, better yet, I think, to jtaylormedia.com, that's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R-Media.com, which you can use to very easily access this show live or download this or all the past shows. Uh, the archive versions are also downloadable. Uh, right directly from the site, or you can do the same thing through uh, iTunes as well. Uh, you can also, from jtaylormedia.com, also access all three newsletters, Rogers and Chen's and mine, and also v- view a number of video clips that I've done, both on CNBC, Fox, uh, Bloomberg, BNN, and some of my own facey analyst uh, videos that I've done, where I interview corporations, uh, CEOs of, of mostly mining companies, uh, to learn more about the prospects. And the mining industry is really, I believe, the gold mining industry especially, is the place to be these days because gold is not just a nominal price, but more importantly, the real price of gold has been rising very dramatically. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making this the number one show on the Voice of America business channel. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsors who make this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources, American Manganese, Rye Patch Gold Corp., and Romeo's Gold Resources. Well, as the pathology of the global paper money fraud is beginning to lead to the death and destruction of the European economy, there has never been a stronger case to be made for owning gold than now. And if you do not own some, it is possible the time left to acquire it could be short-lived, and I say that because my friend and money manager, Florian Siegfried, uh, who manages a very successful gold fund in Switzerland, will have him on the show sometime again in the near future, I expect in a couple of weeks from now. Anyway, Siegfried sent me an email this morning telling me uh, that, uh, informing me that, in fact, in Austria, the Austrian government is now starting to limit the amount of gold that its citizens can buy. Is this a sign of things to come? I have to think it could very well be, 
because as wealth is shifted, and I think we're only starting to see the wealth being shifted from the uh, from paper money to gold, when the masses of people realize that it's time to get out of paper, that it's a fraud, and they go to gold, well, the gold price, you could see a massive shift of wealth away from paper into gold, and those of us who have been early into gold uh, would stand to benefit greatly. However, uh, can you imagine what kind of um, turmoil that may cause politically? So we could have some real problems down the road. So get your gold while you're able to get it is the message. Uh, today we have two main guests, uh, Rick Mayberry. He'll be with us once again uh, from about 3.30 New York time to approximately 4.30. Immediately following Rick, I will introduce John Merrick, who has a very thorough grasp of the Federal Reserve balance sheet and also some very astute insights about fiscal as well as monetary policy. Time constraints did not permit me to delve very deeply into John's views, but we will have him come back next week for a more thorough look because I think it's very important to know what the Fed is really doing as opposed to what it's saying or what a lot of the pundits are saying the Fed is doing and intending to say. So you have to be careful, and John is, is convinced that the Fed really, uh, if you look at carefully at their statements, that they're not really uh, misinforming as much as sometimes the media would have you believe. <coughs> Excuse me. As always, we like to provide some practical information that can help you apply this more theoretical discussions that we have every week. Uh, we'd like to provide some practical ways that you can profit from that information. So in just a minute, as soon as we come back from the break, Chris Coopy, the president of Paramount Gold and Silver, will be with me. Paramount is a gold exploration company that may be, I believe, on the verge of a dramatic increase in its gold reserves. Uh, and if so, it is logical to expect that this company's share prices could rise fairly uh, dramatically going forward. It has an excellent project. Well, we'll let Chris tell us about that. Really, we're going to go to break. We have very little time to waste. So we're going to go to the break. And as soon as we come back, we'll be right back with Chris Krupp. Don't go away. We'll be When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www 
www.legendgold.com. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Chris Krupe with me. He was here once again on our show. Chris is the president of uh, Paramount Gold and Silver, the company that trades in the U.S. under the symbol PZ, well, PZG, same as in Toronto, PZG. 114.4 million shares of stock outstanding. It uh, is up big today, about 25%. It's up 51 cents to $2.90. Giving me a market cap, if my arithmetic is good, at about $330, million. Welcome, Chris. Oh, Jay, it's so good to be back on your show. Good to have you here. You know, I'm up here in St. John's today, um, St. John's, Newfoundland. I talked to an audience and earlier uh, today to an audience mostly comprised of, of um, larger investors and, and institutions, and I made the case that this is a bull market of a lifetime. Uh, we are seeing the real price of gold rise very dramatically, and I think it's really sort of a, a, a foolish thing to do at, to look at the dollar price of gold, but rather the real price of gold. That is what an ounce of gold will buy, and it's been rising very dramatically. And what I'm seeing, Chris, is, um, uh, is that the major mining companies, are, profits are growing very dramatically. And I did show a slide <clears throat> collectively of seven companies Going uh, the the composite of those earnings going from six dollars and thirty cents in two thousand eight to thirteen dollars and forty one cents in two thousand and ten, so that's more than a double in two years. The analysts are projecting that to go to twenty dollars, almost twenty one dollars this year, and then twenty six dollars next year. The point I'm making, and the reason I'm talking about this, is because these are the likes of Newmont, Kinross, Yamana, uh, Barrick, Agneagle Eagle, Anglo Ashanti, Gold Corp, all the big boys. And they are having a heck of a time replacing the reserves that they are producing from. Uh, and they are looking at companies that are exploration companies. Now, you, your company has been very successful. And I want to get into your project down in Mexico. And then I want you to talk about Deeper Mine, which I know something about because when I was a lender many years ago, uh, I was part of a consortium. I was a, a lending officer with Westpac Banking Corp. We were part of a consortium that made the first gold loan in modern times to the sleeper mine, 200,000 ounces. That put that into production, 
you guys have picked that project up. And when I saw that, I said, wow, that's exciting because I knew there was a lot of gold left there. But before we get into the details of that, what caused your stock to move so much today, Chris? Well, you know, Jay, I was on uh, television this morning in Canada on uh, BNN, your, your, mm-hmm. your friends in St. John's Lenoir, which is business news, and it was about the same time that we, we put out the news on Sleeper that we had increased the resource, and the resource went from 1.1 million ounces of gold, which we inherited last August, as you suggested, a lot of gold, to a whopping uh, 3.7 million ounces of gold plus uh, 33 million ounces of silver, all in measured in gold equivalents, roughly 4.2 million ounces of gold. So that's wow. an inc- it's a four. That's like a that's a four. I guess four you guys call it a four bagger. 400 percent increase wow. in one year. Yeah. Well, so, uh, now that is that's getting up there to the point where the guys like Newmont and Barrick and those guys. I think both those companies are very active in Nevada. That's where the sleeper sleeper mine in your project is. What do you think you need to do? Uh, let me ask you, is there more exploration potential there, Chris? Well, absolutely. No, no, the, just, just to put it in big perspective, this uh-huh. is the exciting part. Those numbers were cut off for estimation purposes in February. It took that long to do the calculation. Mm-hmm. We've been running two drill rigs ever since that time. So don't be surprised if in the next few weeks and months we're going to have a whole slew of more results that keep making that number bigger, and not just bigger, but better. We've hired a firm now. We went from SRK to do the resource assessment, which is a very large consulting firm. We've hired, now hired an engineering firm, Tetratech. They're going to take all these numbers, put the whole package together, and come out with an economic assessment. And that, as you know, as a lend, former lender, is what you can lend on. You can start looking at what are the economics of the project, what is it going to cost, what are the operating costs, What's the net present value? And that's when I think you talk about the majors. That's when I think they get interested in this, pro- in this project. And I think, you know, Jay, there's one more thing that people have forgotten about, and you'll remember because you were there. Mm-hmm. When they shut the mine down, they left uh, 66 million tons of ore in the waste dumps. They left heap stacks, and they left a tailings pond. And there is a large quantity of gold and silver in that, and I mean a really large quantity. We, we don't know how much is exactly there, but we, we're thinking it's somewhere between half a million and a million ounces, mm-hmm. in addition okay. to what we're talking about. Okay, so Chris, what you're telling me, there's that 66 million tons of surface gold that was left behind, and that was left behind at a time when the gold price was so low, it didn't make sense to try to produce from it. When gold was 300, I don't know what 300, 400 dollars, something like that, 500 most. Um, <clears throat> now, Chris, so that 4.2 million gold equivalent ounces does not include that, then. And it, and are you telling me also that uh, the last drilling was done in February that went into this calculation? Absolutely. So we're time delayed a little bit. That's how I like to look at it. How much uh, drilling, more or less, do you think has taken place? Since, well, the, uh, since that February, day. I'd say we've probably. I'm, I, you know, I'm going to throw it out. I don't know exactly, but I would say t- t- 20,000 feet. So, uh-huh. okay. You know, so, I mean, those not all those drill holes are going to result in mineralization, perhaps, but some of them might. So, we might see bigger number. The point I'm getting to is there would seem to be, even though you have 4.2 million ounces already, gold equivalent ounces, I might add. Uh, it is really it has a lot of blue sky. It would seem still though. What about exploration targets beyond what you're doing now? I mean, can you give us a sense of uh, what sort of um, 
you know, what sort of uh, aerial uh, what sort of uh, area you're looking at? Absolutely. The original sleeper property has been expanded to 40 square, 45 square miles, and it encompasses the old pit, the old infrastructure, and we and we we had 12 target zones all and amongst and around the pit. So really, you know, it's a simple, very simple strategy. We've we've tackled three of those zones. So we've come back and drilled three of them. We've got nine more zones to test. We haven't even had the chance to test them yet. So lo and behold that there's more mineralization on around the pit than we think because we haven't tested them. That's going to make the asset bigger. We have targets outside of the original Atlanta, I'm sorry, the original um, uh, sleeper mine. And to make it a lot more exciting, we just acquired a whole package of claims immediately south of sleeper moving towards the Sandman deposit. Mm-hmm. So we've now set ourselves up for some potential, some really big potential upside, uh, notwithstanding what we've just proven up. So this thing could, you know, it could get a lot, lot larger. It's a very big system that has never been properly tested. When AMAX Gold, from what I understand, ran this, their focus was not exploration, it was mining, and that's what they did, and they did that well. So we're coming at it from a different hat and seeing how big we can make this thing before, you know, taking that leap. Right. Well, that was AMAX... uh that had that project, and it was a lifesaver for them. I remember very well because they had one of the most spectacular high-grade zones in there that really almost reliquified the company and kept it solvent. It was an amazing discovery. But it, I, I agree, it was never really drilled systematically. The whole system was never really drilled. But now in this bull market, when money can be raised, and there's uh, obviously the big guys are making huge profits now because the real price of gold is high, it's driving a lot of interest in in this company. Well, that's that's the sleeper. Tell us a little bit about what's going on because initially you didn't initially you, you were really focused in Mexico. How is that going? I think it's the San Miguel project. Yeah. Uh, how's that coming along? Well, Mexico continues to um, move along at a very nice pace. You know, we, we're taking it to the point, Jay, where we've got uh, we've taken it to the point where we've got more assays in the labs that are starting to trickle out. We're going to put those together along with all the work we've done. We've drilled, um, I think, 150,000 meters into this project. This is a this is a mega project. This is a this is a 466,000-acre land package. I, 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 it, if you can fathom how large it is, and we've only drilled a very small, a few percentage points portion of it. So the, there sits on the package today uh, a million ounces of gold and 80 million ounces of silver. Now, that, again, is time delayed. So what we're doing is we're taking, again, those numbers that have been drilled, and we're going to work them into a new resource estimate this year. That's ongoing. So we're hoping to have, an, again, a fairly large uh, deposit that can be moved now to the sort of preliminary economic phase and then into the pre-feasibility phase. And that's when I think people start to really notice and you can start to understand what your mining options are and how you should best go about you know, developing it, whether you look for a partner, whether you sell some of it, whether you do it yourself. And those are the options you can assess when you get there. But you've got to figure out what you got before you can figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. That's really important in this business, and people sometimes forget about that. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, that's, 
Oh, I, I'm sorry, I was distracted a bit. I caught the 80 million ounces of silver. What was the gold number? Uh, it's, it's over a million ounces now, Jay. Over a million ounces. So that yeah. means you guys are over five million collectively between the two properties. And we should uh, should tell our, our listeners that there are different categories uh, of these resources, and we're combining them for the sake of simplicity. Obviously, not all ounces are equal until you do a certain amount of drilling and move it into higher categories, but but nonetheless, it's very impressive. And, and usually, by uh, infill drilling, you can you can increase or improve the the quality of these deposits uh, significantly. Um, well, I'm just wondering uh, where where does this go? Uh, you know, if you've got that many ounces, you've got silver. So, what would the gold equivalent number be there in um, in, in uh, Mexico? It's about three million ounces of gold equivalent uh, okay, so at this point. Three and then four point two. So you're well, seven. up. I mean, you know, it's like seven million ounces of gold equivalent. What do you think? Um, now, of course, as you drill this property and as the projects, the, the questions, the unanswered questions get answered, relative to economics and feasibility and all that, the uh, confidence goes higher, and the price of the stock should move along with what well, the risk has been taken out of the project. Mm-hmm. But at this stage, Chris, what do you think? Uh, what, what do you think the fair, sort of a fair market? Value, and I don't expect an unbiased answer, of course. Yeah. But looking at, let's say, at peers, what sure. might this stock sell for? Give a range. You know, what? Yeah. How much in the ground, perhaps? What would well, be a range? Well, you know, at the bottom end, presuming gold is a, is is at a low, I would say, uh, you know, hundred dollars an ounce. But on the high end, mm-hmm. let me, you know, when the Palmarejo company was purchased by Coeur d'Alene, which is right next to us, in two thousand and six or seven. When gold was at seven hundred dollars, they paid three hundred an ounce in the ground. So you've got—I think you've got a range of between one hundred and three hundred. And if you put it right, slice it in the middle at two hundred, you look at seven million ounces. That's one point four billion. One point four billion compared to a current market cap of three hundred and thirty-one or so. Correct. So that, that gives you some idea what theoretically what the upside might be here. Of course. As you do uh, explore and, and develop, and well, you could be and expect to be coming out with some higher numbers too. So that's another thing investors should keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you, you would expect to have some higher numbers from the drilling since February, and uh, and for the delayed uh, results as well in, uh, in in Mexico. So yes. this is a really a, a very a very uh, very exciting story, I think. Chris, I want to thank you very much. Is there anything else you might want to add? Before no, I, I think just one thing. Paramount has intentionally located in areas of existing infrastructure near neighboring mines, which are typically run by major mining companies for very good reason. It makes for easy partnering and easy transactions later, easy mine development. Um, we're, uh, we're cashed up. We've got good backers. Uh, and it's a stock that trades nicely, um, and uh, we've got some pretty good technical people on the team, and um, and we're driving towards uh, these end products that I described in economic assessments and pre-feasibility. So keep your eyes on the news and watch the flow come through. Well, I definitely will be doing that, no doubt about it, and my subscribers will too. This has been a stock that I've recommended to my subscribers. Uh, Paramount is not now, but it plans to become a sponsor of this show just for the sake of full disclosure, and uh, I do own the stock myself, so if I sound excited, I'm not unbiased about it, and um, well, I, I think we're looking for companies that can produce large amounts of gold uh, that will track majors, because most junior mining companies don't have the skill set to be producers. It's a whole new ball game. It's com- something completely different, but what you do, what you're able to do and do well 
and obviously uh, Paramount is doing a great job with under Chris's leadership. And you have also some people behind you that work uh, in the financing side of this business that are very, very strong, and that's another thing people should not uh, ignore as well. And again, I would say that fact that you are in areas where you have plenty of infrastructure, that is very, very important too. And when we talk about this range of valuation of ounces in the ground, that is always sort of somewhat it can be very important in terms of determining that. So, Chris, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Look forward to keeping up with this story as we go forward, as you go forward, uh, and as this bull market continues to march on. Thank so, you, Jay. Uh, thanks very much, and, and all the best, and, uh, and keep in touch with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to thank be right you. back and after the break with Rick Mayberry. He's going to be here to talk to us about, well, about, about the markets and the turmoil that's going on in the world, the causes of it, and how you can prepare uh, to protect yourself against it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Mayberry. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com. 
Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikomala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try to. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. <laughs> Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me for a third time Richard Mayberry. Rick Mayberry is a publisher of the U.S. and World Early Warning Reports for Investors. He has written several entry-level common-sense books on the United States uh, economics, law, and history. His writing style is mostly of a letter form, usually as an uncle writing to his nephew answering questions. Mayberry had taught economics in high school. Failing to find a book with a clear explanation of economics, he wrote one himself. Some of his books include Uncle Eric Talks About Personal Career and Financial Security, and that's a book that is basically the foundation for his other books about the model perspective, High Law, Whatever Happened to Penny Candy, a book that explains the history of the United States economic model and how it uh, it was based on free market Austrian economics, and Whatever Happened to Justice, about his naturalist philosophical viewpoints regarding the foundations of America's legal system, British common law, and the law of uh, the Franks and the early Christian Ireland. Welcome, Richard, once again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. I always enjoy being here. Really good to have you with me, I guess, probably because, you know, we, we do like to talk to people who agree. For I mean, it's just sort of natural. It's not always the best thing. Sometimes it's good to have people that you disagree with because sometimes you can actually learn from people so uh, that you disagree with, and sometimes you realize that maybe you're not right about everything. So, But it is, uh, it is comfortable talking to you because we do agree on almost everything, I think. But uh, I do have a lot of people on the show who are not... Uh, necessarily as easy to talk to uh, for me as you are, but anyway, always a pleasure. The focus of your newsletter is really on geopolitics and domestic politics as well. 
but your view of the world has helped you and your subscribers make a lot of money over the past decade or so. And for listeners who may not be familiar with your work, can you tell them about your underlying philosophy of government and how that has helped you position yourself in sectors that have made you and your subscribers a lot of money at the same time that most Americans were placing their bets on investments that were big losers over the last 10 years or so? Yeah, well, um, I um, believe that during the 20th century, actually starting in the 19th century, the U.S. government started drifting away from the original American philosophy to the point that, you know, the government that we have in Washington now isn't the U.S. government. We've essentially been invaded by some foreign power that has taken over the country that, that bears absolutely no resemblance to what the original American political system was supposed to be. Um, uh, essentially, it's very heavily socialist and has an attitude of the answer to every problem is more government. Mm. Well, that, the American founders just they fought a war against exactly that sort of thing, and and they um, tried to establish a country with a constitution that would severely limit the government, which means maximize the freedom of the people. So whenever I am uh, looking at an economic situation and trying to figure out how to make money out of it, I will match the existing political system that's influencing that that economic situation. Uh, I'll match it you know, against what this country is supposed to be. And that will usually give me some idea of the direction things are likely to go economically mm. and the types of investments that will benefit from it. And, you know, as you know, um, because you've read Early Warning Report for a long time, my, my main thrust is that um, ever since 9-11, I've been telling people you should just pretty much confine yourself to the two carved-in granite long-term trends in this country, which are more war and more currency debasement because that's what this government does. It goes to war and it debases the currency. That's its two big activities. It's totally committed to those activities. So why invest in something that is not part of those two very long-term trends, those two very solid trends? So that's all we've been doing. It's not, it doesn't take any kind of genius or anything to figure it out. Just those are the two long-term trends, so stick with them. And as you say, you know, we've made an awful lot of money doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have. And so let's let's help those that might not quite understand what those sectors would be that would benefit from those trends, more war uh, and more currency debasement. What are those sectors? Well, both of them are, you know, they kind of converge in a way. A lot of the investments that will make money off of one trend will also make money off the other. Um, the, for more war, of course, obviously defense-related uh, things um, work real well there. Um, and, uh, for instance, there's a, a mutual fund called Fidelity Select Defense and Aerospace Fund. Mm-hmm. The symbol is FSDAX. Mm-hmm. And um, that's done very well, and um, it was hit hard by the, the crash in 2008. But, um, you know, it's been coming back nicely. And um, you know, is one of one of the the best money makers for us. And then within that are a whole collection of stocks that have done very well, especially what I call the big four. You got Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, um, 
a general dynamics and uh there's one other one i can't think of it right now yeah the big uh, defense guys yeah right right they own the most congressmen um mm-hmm. and so um they get you know all of the the big contracts and um there was a day you know when the the u.s defense industry consisted of more than 50 um, companies and all of those companies have consolidated into the top uh, these top four or five major companies mm-hmm. and of course when they consolidated they got all the congressmen that went with them mm-hmm. so <laughs> essentially those four or five own congress <laughs> yeah. you know? that's, that's why i guess richard that's one of the reasons we don't hear any discussion at all in the recent debates about cutting expenditures, you don't hear anybody talking about cutting defense except a couple of people on the on the left and on the right. You might have a Ron Paul on the on the right side of the political spectrum and a Dennis Kucinich perhaps on the left side. But other than that, there's no discussion about cutting back military except maybe you cut back some personnel and try to squeeze the the working you squeeze the soldiers a little bit on their pensions or on their benefits, or they don't get pensions, but on their mm-hmm. health care benefits or one thing or another. But when it comes to weapons programs, they're not cutting back, are they? Yeah, yeah, so very little, um, and and I expect actually what's going to happen in the next few months is you're going to see a lot of uh, publicity about um, defense cutbacks that are worked into the new budget deals. But what will happen is that when it comes right down to it, at the last moment when Congress is supposed to vote to cut back, well, by golly, they just won't do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so what looks like a defense con- contract or a defense cut, I'm sorry, defense mm-hmm. cut, isn't going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. This this occurred at the end of the 1980s. There was a r- real big push to cut way back on, on military spending, and uh, they promised to do it, and it was written into the law that they were going to do it, but they just never got around to it. <laughs> yeah. So for one reason or another, there's always a last-minute reason not to. Uh, yeah. You know, we can't afford. A, we we really have to defend America. Of course, we're we're under we're under these constant attacks. You know, we've got to <laughs> right. Um, well, so so it seems to me, Richard, what we've got here then is um, you mentioned these two major themes as uh, more wars and currency debasement. Mm-hmm. The currency debasement is part of the funding of the war effort. No. Uh, yeah, right. Um, the the government uh, needs to pay for the wars that it gets into. You know, wars aren't free. In fact, they're the most expensive thing humans do. And in order to pay for the bullets and beans, um, they have to either raise taxes or uh, print the money. And uh, so more and more they choose to print the money, and, and that kind of is something they want to do anyhow because they've been taught to believe that printing money is what ended the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're they're really friendly to that idea to begin with. And, and the more money they print, the more that enables them to skim off some of it and use it for their own government spending, too, for other projects. So there's always this huge uh, inclination all governments have to print their currencies in the same way a counterfeiter does, and that mm-hmm. drives down the value of each individual in each individual unit of the currency, mm-hmm. and then prices rise to compensate. Um, so you know, the debasement of the dollar, which has been going on pretty heavily here for quite a few years, um, is, is just part of it. And it it dovetails with the the military spending from the wars, and 
I just think, uh, as I said, I, you know, the, those two trends, more war and more currency debasement, are, are like ingrained into the DNA of the federal government. Mm-hmm. And, and they tell you where the money is going to go. So why should you bet on something else when you know the money is going to go into those areas? Mm-hmm. You know, Richard, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, for a currency debasement, your natural resources are, are some of the natural mm-hmm. investments there, uh, and those include gold, silver, and platinum, mm-hmm. um, which are becoming, uh, once again, um, types of money. And, you know, oil and lumber and iron and copper, all, all the natural resources tend to rise when the currency is falling. So you have those two general sectors, natural resources and military stocks that tend to do extremely well during this environment, and they have been for 10 years, and that's why we've been making so much money. And I would imagine also the military, the destruction that comes along with wars and so forth, and also the raw materials and the resources that are required to prosecute wars also contribute to the rise in prices in some of those uh, yeah. metals and things that you're talking about. That's true. I'm, and, and beyond that, um, war just tends to cut off supplies of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So, you know, among other things, a wise business will not invest in an area that's likely to be a battlefield. <laughs> right. And so they don't extract those natural resources. That's really why places like Russia have so much natural resources still today. It's because no no wise person will invest in those areas because mm-hmm. they're afraid of it all being blown up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all those natural resources are still in those areas, whereas in Western Europe and in the United States, the resources are very seriously depleted mm-hmm. because it was a safe place to invest. You could sure. invest in Texas without worrying about uh, some war in Texas blowing up your capital stock. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about that. Well, you know, one of the big debates now, Richard, and uh, you know, it's one that that I. Um, might be somewhat opposed uh, to you on your views here because I tend to be sort of on the deflation side of this great argument of the inflation deflation and I realize in reading you that that you realize it could go either way but you, you're a great admirer of Harry Brown he's a libertarian who was a candidate for president in the libertarian party in the past a man that I've looked up to as well talk to us about Harry Brown if you would a little bit and his investment philosophy and also he put together a portfolio for all economic seasons, for deflation or inflation or what have you. Mm-hmm. Could you just talk about uh, Harry Brown a little bit and that portfolio that has served people very well over a long period of time? Right. Um, that portfolio actually, it, well, it's called the Permanent Portfolio Fund. Um, he wrote a book about it called um, Fail Safe Investing. It's a very short little book. You can read it in 45 minutes. Very easy reading, and, and it explains the theory of the fund. <laughs> And um, essentially, the fund grew out of Harry's um, economic uh, viewpoint, which is called Austrian economics. Mm-hmm. Um, the the two uh, you know brightest lights in the Austrian school were the Nobel Prize winner uh, Frederick Hayek mm-hmm. and his uh, mentor, who was uh, Ludwig von Mises, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, it also, I should point out that um, almost everybody in the world, including probably your broker, 
and your banker and the Treasury Secretary and all the rest of them have been taught Keynesian economics, which has a horrible track record for mm-hmm. prediction. And in the last 10 years, the Austrian school has had a fantastic <laughs> record. There's nobody yeah. can touch them. Absolutely. Okay, so um, Harry uh, was a, a big proponent of the Austrian philosophy of economics, and as I am. And um, what the Austrian school taught him, uh, among other things, is that you really can't predict. You don't know what's coming. You can make some forecasts, and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong, um, but essentially human behavior is not predictable because humans have free wills and they change their minds. Mm-hmm. So no matter what you think is coming, there's a good chance you're going to be wrong because mm-hmm. people change their minds. Mm-hmm. And that goes not only for the typical individual walking down the street, it also goes for the Federal Reserve Chairman, the Treasury Secretary, the President, and all these big decision makers who, with a flick of a switch, can can change flows of money. You know, can, they, can, they can take $10 billion and shift it off and send it somewhere else. So you don't know what those people are going to do. What Harry came, the conclusion Harry came to was <clears throat> we got to have an investment system that enables us to make at least a little bit of money no matter what happens. Um, you know, and, and so he came up with a permanent portfolio strategy, which is the best attempt I have ever seen to make a bulletproof um, mix of investments that will withstand any kind of hit, whether it's inflationary or deflationary, whether it's a hurricane or an earthquake or a war or a revolution, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've been recommending the uh, Permanent Portfolio Fund since almost since its inception, which was almost 30 years ago, I think. And um, it's it's the central part of our investment strategy in early warning report and again it it has done amazingly well this is an investment strategy that's designed to maximize safety Mm-hmm. And, you'll, and yet you'll find it's one of the most profitable mutual funds out there. That's amazing. You can have the, the risk uh, without, uh, you can have the reward without the risk, essentially. What is the, is there a symbol on that, uh, Rick? Yeah, P-R-P-F-X. P-R-P-F-X, excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to, have to look it up, and maybe, um, you know, it's, it's one that I have not recommended, not because I haven't believed in it, but because I'm busy recommending individual stocks. But I do, we have something in my newsletter uh, that we call a low-budget, low-maintenance model portfolio that is meant for people that don't want to buy individual stocks and do all the work that's involved with that. So maybe this is something I should really, really take a look at, uh, its performance. I know you've talked about it in your newsletter. It sounds like an excellent idea. I did know Harry briefly, and unfortunately is untimely death he died a fairly young man um and uh, really a loss in many ways he would he and another great thinker that i wish were around right now is john exter a a a deflationist who was actually a central banker but believed we should have a a gold-backed monetary system he was a federal reserve economist and actually a member of the council of foreign relations he was a personal friend of von mises i understand and these gentlemen would argue all the time about inflation or deflation so this is an argument a discussion I should say, I think both men were Austrian thinkers, Exter as well. But Exter believed and, and would if he were alive today. I know his, his son-in-law very well. And Exter would, would maintain, I believe today, as he did 
before his death, that we were inevitably going to run into a deflationary depression. And his argument is that, uh, you know, that our system is made up of debt money. It's not an asset money. So the more they continue to have to print more and more money, which means they have there is more and more debt in the system. So you, the system becomes ever more insolvent. And one of the arguments about the need to continue having wars all the time is because what the system does is it saturates people with so much debt they can't pay it back. Look at America right now, for example, the housing bubble, uh, you know, credit cards can't be extended anymore because people can't pay the banks back. Everybody's underwater. Student loans are a disaster. And so what you have to do is you've got to go find other countries to go to so you can, you know, expand the markets and find new people, new virgin territory, as it were, so you can start to lend them money, sucker them in, get them indebted, and then basically basically you own them uh but but uh, what are your thoughts do you think that's part of the reason that we that our military industrial complex i mean there's this need to keep expanding the system so we can indebt more people um i i think it's likely that, that something like that is going on um but it's not the only thing going on mm-hmm. um, one of the hardest things for me over the years has been to um, kind of pound into my own head the fact that there is no government. Mm-hmm. There is just this big collection of people mm-hmm. um, who have have the privilege of being able to use these powers, mm-hmm. and each of them has his own personal agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have no doubt that some of them are pushing exactly the agenda that you just described. Mm-hmm. But there may be other people up there, probably are other people up there, who have other agendas that conflict with that agenda. Mm-hmm. And they're pushing their agenda, whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be. Sure. And so, you know, what we call the government mm-hmm. is really um, a very disorganized, very chaotic kind of uh, mishmash of agendas that are always in conflict with each other. There's always competition going on because there's only a limited amount of resources for them to uh, to steal and distribute. And um, if you get more of it, then I get less of it. So there's this, this competition always going on up there, and um, it shakes out into something that, that kind of looks to the public like some sort of a consensus, but there never really is any sort of consensus. Mm-hmm. There's just a continual competition up there to um, steal and redistribute what, the loot that they they can get their hands on, mm-hmm. um, and and so uh, yeah. Um, now what that leads us to is that there are some people who want things done that require a deflationary environment. There are other people up there who want other things done that require an inflationary environment. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, well, who's going to win in that one? And we have no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, certainly, uh, Ron Paul, who's been a guest on this show, is on the inflationist side. He thinks the government will, the government, um, the policymakers, as it were, that the winning side will be those that want inflation. Uh, I think Exter would argue that no matter what they want, the forces of mathematics, the uh, the debt, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. So my my thinking is we need we need they need if they want to inflate to get money in the hands of the masses rick what i'm seeing so far is money is going the bailouts are really benefiting the rich mm-hmm. uh you know and and this goes to a point that i think that you make very well in your newsletter that most people don't uh talk about very much and that is monetary velocity the velocity of money you make the point that if 
if velocity doubles, if, if the turnover of money doubles, um, the speed with which it's turned over doubles, it's like doubling the, the money supply. And I'm looking at your September newsletter, and you still have, in terms of the United States, well, and even globally, the velocity is still at a fairly low level, isn't it? In my opinion, yeah, I think the statistics back that up. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at, um, well, you know, to me, one of the most revealing statistics in that is um, the um, the consumer confidence index, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's just been withering <laughs> in the long United States. Yes, um, and people just get scared to death. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they won't spend their money, and mm -hmm. that is, the, as you say, that is the, has the same effect as the deflation of the money supply. Mm -hmm. If if a person hangs onto his dollars and sticks them in his mattress uh, and refuses to spend them, then um, that's the same thing as shrinking the money supply as far as the effect on prices is concerned. Once those dollars are out of circulation. It doesn't matter really where where they go after this guy decides he's not going to spend them. Um, they're not out there bidding prices up, so that's a deflationary condition. Mm -hmm. um, and and you, what you have uh, repeatedly in in history is um, a, a government will get itself into an inflationary situation where things are looking pretty nasty and the currency is is dropping in value, and they'll they'll go into this stop start stop start mode where they'll inflate the money supply for a while and then they'll stop and maybe even shrink it and then they'll inflate some more and then they'll shrink it. And what that does is it causes velocity to go crazy because mm -hmm. the individuals in the economy don't know what's going to happen. And half the time they're scared to death of the currency and they want to trade it away as fast as possible. And the other half of the time they're wanting to hang on to it because they're scared to death they're going to lose their job. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the velocity itself gets really crazy. Mm -hmm. So. In velocity, I guess maybe a main point here can change overnight. It can yeah. just flip from from being inflationary to deflationary or tight to loose, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. overnight. Mm -hmm. So it's as if somebody has an, an enormous printing press that enables them to inject money into the economy and then overnight pull it back out again and then put it back in and pull it back out. Mm -hmm. That's the effect of the changes in the velocity. Mm -hmm. So everything gets more and more chaotic and people get more and more frightened and velocity swings more and more until one day um, they all decide that they just want to hang on to something they trust uh, that the government can't can't manipulate. Mm -hmm. And that usually is, is gold, silver, platinum, mm -hmm. and all sorts of other things that have real substance to them. I, I think the day will, will come when you, you'll be much more happy to get paid uh, in terms of uh, classic automobiles than you will in terms of dollars. Mm -hmm. If somebody offers you a classic automobile, you'll, you'll snap it up because yeah. that's got a better chance of retaining its value than paper money does. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the, the, I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> well, well, it's, well, I think it's really interesting. I think what we're talking about is psychology to a great extent. And the yeah. point you make about velocity can change very, very quickly. If you look at the hyperinflations that have taken place 
the German one comes to mind if you look at a chart of that. It goes around, you know, it's a fairly slow inflation rate, not unlike what we have now, perhaps. I mean, even if you, uh, even if you believe the governments or if you believe John Williams, which I tend to believe is more realistic because it's really comparing apples to apples and the way we used to count, that we were looking at something, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight percent, something like that. Not drastic, not hyper. Uh, but in Germany, it was just in a very short period of time, and the, the chart looks like a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and and so the psychology changes. And so we're going to have to take a break here in just a few minutes. But here's a question for you: mm-hmm. Obama's going to go to the nation now to try to give a speech. He's going to try to, I guess, I don't know, bolster confidence, get people to feel good about things, and mm-hmm. probably to try to get his ratings up because they're on the floor. But. Um, you know, it seems what would it, what would change the psychology of the masses of people? It seems to me, and we've had another uh, another guest on this show who suggested that what they should really do is refund the last three years' tax uh, taxes to everybody instead of bailing out the banks. Just refund the money to the masses to everybody, whoever's paid taxes, give it back to them, and you'd have a bottoms up. You'd have an enormous amount of confidence. You'd have people feeling good and you know paying off their mortgages and buying cars and doing this and doing that, and a bottoms up a stimulus rather than a top down. You know, to the people that have a propensity not to spend much of their money, maybe a lot of these Goldman Sachs guys are buying gold. Actually, maybe they're buying real estate in Argentina. Maybe they're doing one thing or another to secure themselves because they know this country is going to hell in a handbasket overall. Um, so, what could change the velocity? What could change this? Because I think we're really talking about psychology, but it's not just psychology. It's not just the stupid animal spirits that Keynes talked about. It has to do with reality because. People look at their balance sheets and they suck. People look at their incomes and there are none, and, and their buying power is decreasing mm-hmm. because the cost of everything is going up more than the government says it is. The salaries are stagnant at best, and 9%, the way the government counts it, is unemployment. Williams would say we're at 14, 15, 18%, I don't know, somewhere up. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a country that is in big, big problems, has huge problems because, as you say, the malinvestment, you know, we don't have the income to service the debt. The country is in deep doo-doo, and we haven't even talked yet about the aging population and the demographics of, of you know, so, paying off Social Security to people as it's been promised to and Medicare and all that. We're in big trouble, Richard. I don't see how people are going to start to become optimistic, how the average people are going to start to say, oh, I'm going to start having a good time and spending again. If Obama's going to try to recreate this confidence in the nation, it's got to be nothing more than a con job, it seems to me, because I think you and I would both agree what has to happen is time has the markets have to be allowed to work. The reality has to set in. We are broke. We have to save. We have to work again. Uh, but they're not letting the markets talk to us, are they? So we're, how do we come out of this funk? How do people – I mean, I guess what I'm really looking for is what would change the velocity? What would cause people to go one way or the other? Because – I know you have Harry Brown's investment strategy, and that's a great one because no matter what happens, you do well. Well, maybe we just stop at that. But if we're trying to figure out which way are we going, if we're inflating or deflating, it makes all the difference in the world. What part of Harry Brown's portfolio I want to own at a given time? So what would cause – maybe, you know, we've got to go to a break, and when we come back, maybe you can answer this question. What would cause uh, the psychology to change to cause um, you know velocity to switch over and, and, and start to speed up. So we've got to take a, a commercial break right now, but we'll be right back with Richard Mayberry. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 